MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They called me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, longtime fellow conspiracy realist, as you know, we have been on some sojourns of late. And as a result, uh, we had we put out some classic episodes that we hoped would pique your interest. We are returning with our weekly listener mail segment. We're going to talk with Ishmael. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a Moby Dick reference, maybe not. We're going to speak with uh, Batboy. We're also going to hear from Rebel Devil. Uh, we're going to talk about water as a power source in a way that might surprise you. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of our mutual favorite subjects, weird food. But before we do any of that, I think it's time we talk about invasive species. God, I love hearing about invasive. Wait, didn't we do something recently on this? Uh, invasive oh, species, yeah. The hogs. What was it? The That's hogs, right. super pigs. Yes, That's, of oh, course, the feral hogs. Yeah. They need heavy artillery to, 40 to, to combat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of, all of them, every one of them. Uh, not sure if we're going to need any heavy artillery today, though, because we're talking about little tiny invasive species. It would probably be a, a, a waste of bullets. There are definitely uh, there are ways there are ways. And we're going to hear about some of those ways from Bat Boy. Hey, guys. Firstly, I love the show and I devoured your book. Excellent work. Thank you, Bat Boy. Um, about three or four years ago in the New Jersey, New York area, we started hearing warnings about the spotted lanternfly, an invasive species with no natural predators here that are very destructive to trees and vegetation. We were instructed to kill any if spotted. 
Okay. Uh, living in Brooklyn, it was rare to encounter these actually kind of beautiful, creepy insects, but I would try my best to take care of them. I'm assuming he means take care of them, like, you know, like yeah, uh, mob mafia, mafia yeah. term. Yeah. Early September last year, I was at a town festival down the shore in New Jersey, uh, and the place was lousy with them. It was almost like a plague. You couldn't walk a few feet without seeing one just chilling or having one land on you. They're not scared. They don't care. Like the honey badger. Uh, The really wild thing to me, though, was the people. This festival became like a real-life whacking day. Is that a thing? What is whacking day? I got to find out about this because he says cue the Barry White. What? I guess this is a sexual reference. I'm not sure. What is whacking day? <laughs> Yo, whacking day. It's the an episode Simpsons. of The Simpsons yeah. celebrated annually in which the citizens of Springfield drive snakes into the town square and then club them to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing we hear. You know what else we talked about recently, Ben? Mm. Um, we talked about the cobra problem. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, India, that was, I think they released a lot of cobras to take care of another invasive species. And then the cobras themselves became the invasive species. Yeah, perverse incentive because they, uh, the government pay- said, we have a cobra problem, so we're going to pay people to hunt cobras for us. People realized oh, they yes. could raise cobras. That's and then what it they was. had more cobras than ever. And also, uh, Whacking Day, shout out Simpsons. Uh, Whacking Day is apparently loosely based on some real life occurrences or things like that. Had happened, but invasive species. Okay, this is one of my questions. I know we gotta, we gotta continue, but no, uh, Matt. One of my questions that I didn't get to ask on air a while back: When is a species considered invasive? Like how? Uh, what, what? Like how long is the threshold? You know, because we have a lot of species that weren't there forever, and things evolved. Does that mean yeah. they invaded? Humans are invasive species. Really good question. No, you're not. That last point in particular, humans are certainly. An invasive species. And I think this is a very human centric view of invasive species. But I guess maybe, you know, if we talk to uh, scientists that were involved in, in various ecosystems and stuff, they would probably have a more specific answer. But I, I would argue that in this context, it doesn't really become an invasive species, at least in terms of the PR of it all, until they really start wrecking shop, uh, you know, i.e., eating vegetation, causing crop loss, you know, literal plague of locusts type stuff. So Bat Boy goes on. Uh, after whacking day, and then we're queuing the Barry White for whatever reason. Uh, everyone from children to the elderly came together to smash them bugs good. That's what he says right there. I'm not really a fan of the smashing. <laughs> I did, however, learn a useful trick for capturing these buggers with an empty water bottle. You squeeze the bottle, place it over near the bug, and they are pulled in via the suction. And then I presume you just put the lid on and suffocate them to death. Put a lid is that the is that the is that the more or less humane way of of killing bugs? Um, Juries may be out. I would I would think worse than just a quick smash. Maybe better for the smasher, but not necessarily better for the for the bug. I don't know. It's mm. like. Um, yeah, let us know what you think. Thank you guys for all that you do. Your conversations are always a bright spot during the week. Bat boy. And um, I had a little look-see on the internet about this thing, and it is indeed quite beautiful Um, and and a bit alien-looking. So that's another thing about, you know, to answer your previous question too, Ben, or to to, to piggyback off of it, you know, uh, wasn't it like starlings that were introduced because of somebody that really, really liked Shakespeare a lot? (sighs) 
Yeah, he wanted to really he wanted to bring all the birds that are mentioned in any of Shakespeare's writing to the U.S. And he brought starlings, even though they're like barely mentioned. Right? He said, "Okay, you know, we gotta. I gotta do my weird thing." (laughs) And uh, he, uh, as a result, they are everywhere. Uh, He actually, I think, he only mentioned starlings. The Bard only mentioned Starlings once in Henry the Fourth, but still, that was enough to totally throw an ecosystem in the U.S. off its rails. I mean, I don't know. Like invasive species, man. We know, we know that humans are a huge vector for invasive species. I was looking into this. Um, one of the most popular pieces of speculation I heard was that earthworms are considered one of the OG invasive species. Well, that's that's exactly right. And, and to the point about um, when does it become, I mean, I think it's an invasive species like initially when the ecosystem kind of can't contain it and then you either kill it off entirely, which is we know is just pretty difficult or things just kind of adjust because we still have starlings. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. and they're not like destroying stuff in the way they maybe were when they first, you know, uh, showed up in the chat. Maybe it's, okay, so we know that invasive species can spread naturally, but I think humans are the big piece of the equation. What, maybe, maybe an invasive species is one that is causing harm to uh, an ecosystem as is. But like, like think about um, the Pacific Islands, right? There are all these nearly countless archipelagos and little dots of land across there. And different animals, with or without humans, are moving through them. Right? They're birds who carry and defecate seeds that sprout. I don't. I don't know, man. I just this is puzzling me, Noel. Like, when is it, it's like those old towns in New England where you're still an outsider if it right. was just your great grandparents moving when there? When do you become a local? You right. Know what I mean? Right. Like, well, the National Geographic um, describes three qualities of an invasive species. One, uh, which is I think pretty obvious, and we've discussed, is is that they can adapt very quickly and also, of course, reproduce very quickly. Um, but the other one is kind of what we were speculating that it has to harm property, the economy, or the native plants and animals of the region. Wow, they're third on the list. Nice, That's third. nice job, yeah. humans. I mean, well, let's, you let's, know, yeah. Let's talk about the threat the spotted lanternfly poses to New Jersey, Connecticut, Delaware, Indiana, Maryland, Ooh. Massachusetts, Michigan, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Virginia, and West Virginia. Ooh. And more to come. First of all, um, the spotted lanternfly is native to China, um, and it was first discovered in Pennsylvania in September of 2014. That was quite a while ago, you might be saying. Um, It feeds on a lot of different stuff, including fruit trees, um, some kind of uh, woody type trees, and they can spread their their larvae, you know, pretty far. Uh, What they threaten you know so pennsylvania is when they were first discovered we don't have like a patient zero kind of situation as to like who brought them exactly but you know i would i would imagine they traveled over maybe in someone's clothes or i don't know we don't have any indication that they can survive that way either have you seen the egg masses there are pictures of the egg masses they create that are absolutely horrifying looking. Yeah. Is that the thing that's on the tree? Yeah, mm-hmm. man. They really do look kind of like face hugger, you know, larva, alien pod thing. So they look pretty 
robust, let's just say, but they're also, they're quite large. Um, so I, I am a shit, you know, it could also, these kinds of things can happen because of things like lab leaks, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, essentially the, the cocktail napkin hypothesis would be that if you have humans entering a new environment, the odds are incredibly high that they will bring other species with them. Um, even, even if they are on purpose, trying not to. And some countries are very, very protective of this. Some, some, uh, like states, even the state of Hawaii is notoriously strict about what can be taken in or out of that area. Australia is the same way. There was, there was once a TV show, I want to say about Australian customs and the stuff people would try to take in and out of the country. And it wasn't, necessarily always like drugs or, you know, loose diamonds, the billionaire's favorite accessory. It was stuff like plant seeds. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like the, you know, even without humans, the demands of evolution, the brutal cost benefit of survival on this planet would necessitate species invading, right? That's how, that's how the sausage of life is made. But I, Okay, so so these lanternflies, I guess it's important to eliminate them if possible because they're sort of exacerbating a problem that already exists with the declining bee population, right? Agriculture's in trouble. That's for sure. And also, I mean, we looking at a list of things that they do threaten, uh, chief among them is uh, hops. So if you're worried about getting, you know, your your local craft beer, the uh, spotted lanternfly could potentially you know, be your worst enemy there. Um, but they do kind of look like a moth in a way, sort of like the Silence of the Lambs moth, mm -hmm. but they are also, they've got really bright red kind of uh, coloration on their wings, and then they've got a middle section uh, that looks a little bit more like a, a drabber kind of color, and then they've got this top layer. They're all three wing sections are different, which is super cool. And then the body of it almost looks like a bumblebee or like a like a carpenter bee or something. Mm, yeah, it's like so, an anime insect. Almost. It is. It looks like it was designed by you know Studio Ghibli uh, or Ghibli, GIF, GIF, whichever. Um, so this is I don't know. This is really just an opportunity to talk about exactly what we've just talked about. I don't think we're necessarily going to see a plague of spotted lanternflies spread across the, the globe, but, you know, it is one among the list of potential things that, that we have seen cause huge issues throughout history, right? Like plagues uh, eliminating crops and causing famine. And, you know, we like to think that we're prepared for all of that kind of stuff. And we would like, we liked, we would have liked to think that we would be prepared for, you know, any pandemic that might've hit us, but we certainly weren't. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of a wake up call that like, you know, there are things like this that could enter into our environment that could really, really cause problems uh, if, if the circumstances were just right. Oh yeah. I mean, look, if you live in many areas of the southeastern United States, one of the most famous or readily visible invasive species is kudzu. Kudzu is nuts, man. The, the local flora was not prepared for this thing, which will literally appear to eat buildings. And what did it do? It kind of became the signature vegetation of the region mm -hmm. because it just did so damn well. And just flourished and became like inescapable. 
Mm-hmm. So now it's like, you know, people from outside of the South, like, oh, kudzu, that's your know, Appalachia or whatever. That's charming. Yeah. I mean, you say that now. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the li- a list of top invasive species in the United States. And this is from 2022. And uh, number one is the Asian giant hornet. Number four is the spotted lanternfly. I want to give a shout out to the dark horse of the whole list. Number two. The Burmese python. Yeah. That's kind of, I did not see that one coming. I guess that's how they get you because they're pythons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm over on the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service website for the USDA. And guys, Ooh. I just learned about something called sudden oak death. That sounds like something like Magic the Gathering, doesn't it? Kind so, of. Spell. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's a disease that was first spotted in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1990s, and it's caused by mold. Wow. Okay, so mold can be invasive. Domestic cats can be evasive. Shout out uh, feral swine. Uh, you know, they're having what PR, uh, the PR industry would call a moment. I think it'd be, it'd be really fascinating to explore invasive species. I wonder if they've ever been weaponized. It just seems like the scale of time that they would need to work might make them not the most effective weapon but yeah i'm still i'm just stuck on this at what point is a species no longer invasive at what point does science say well they've been here long enough you know it's been ten thousand years stop calling them invasive they live here now exactly well that's all for that one um i think we can take a quick break thank you bat boy by the way uh and then we'll be back with more listener mail The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we've returned and we are going to hear from Ishmael. Follow him, Ishmael. Oh, I will. And we will be jokes. Yeah, we all will. Now, speaking of, this is what I wanted to tell you guys. I recently Ooh. found a huge collection of cutouts that my grandfather sent me a long, long, long time ago of comics in like Sunday papers. Oh, and cool. In one of them, it's an image of a huge ship on the ocean and out on the starboard side, there is this weird looking shape. It almost looks like an infinity symbol and it's uh, breaching out of the water, this symbol. And it just says Mobius Dick. Ha! Worth ha. it. Gary Larson mo- would be proud. Yeah, it's a oh, Mobius man. strip. Oh, but oh, Matt, real quick before we go on, uh, because I, I loved Ishmael's uh, letter too. I can't re- I think I may have mentioned it. But I heard one of the, over on uh, Instagram or social media somewhere, I heard one of the most compelling and gross uh, explanations for old stories of sea serpents. Did you hear this? No. Whale penises. Oh, okay. Or was this just something <laughs> we talked about in Austin? I can't remember. So apparently, you know, when when whales mate, uh, the Though they're mammals, the way they group up is is different from what you were picturing with humans. And as a result, there might be some whale whale wangs, for lack of a better term, flinging out and breaching the surface, which could look a lot like tentacles. Now, I have a lot of questions. Uh, (laughs) What position would require the uh, penis to fly out from the water (laughs) in that way? well, um, okay. All right, but you know what? We're gonna leave those we'll, for we'll another leave that day. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to another one because we gotta we gotta get to Ishmael. Uh, it's <laughs> we gotta we gotta get to Ishmael because Ishmael brings up something uh, that I think has fascinated us for many years now. Oh yeah, Ishmael's talking new technology that's gonna help save the planet and maybe even get us to the stars. You'll you'll understand why. Ishmael says. There's a company in New Hampshire that's making a low buzz, and it's either going to change the world or blip out of existence amidst ruined investors in a page six story about arrests related to financial crimes called Q Hydrogen. They claim to be able to produce hydrogen from water using a turbine in a cycle that's efficient enough to generate power from that hydrogen at a competitive price. That would be a huge deal, Ishmael, if they could do that. Mm hmm. 
They also claim to have developed a liquid synthetic fuel that can be made from that hydrogen, which can be burned in a converted diesel engine and will be cost competitive with diesel. Sidebar here, guys, Ishmael says, Liquid fuels are much easier to ship and store than gaseous hydrogen, which is a notorious leaker due to its tiny molecule. Oh, hydrogen, you notorious leaker, you. (laughs) Ishmael continues, They rent lease a mill warehouse in one of those old mill towns where the mill left. (laughs) Right. Uh, Mills mills are a famous invasive species. They really are. I, I live in a mill town, apparently. I didn't know that until I moved here. For a few years... This is Ishmael again. Starting just before COVID messed up everything, there's been news stories about how they're almost ready to start up. And it's super exciting, but nothing solids come out yet. Is that a joke about poop? Da 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 da. Uh, all right. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Continuing. So they're either drumming up investment while preparing to flee the country, or they're about to disrupt the clean energy sector. I want to be clear it's the latter. But the former seems much more likely. So go ahead and pop up some popcorn and watch the initial smoldering of this future dumpster fire. Signed, <laughs> Ishmael. That's very <laughs> well said. There's well style said. on it. Uh, I like the way you write, Ishmael. Yeah, love it. Love it. We read every single email we get. We've got some fantastic stories. Um, Matt, when I'm alluding, what I'm alluding to in this letter is the... Um, the idea of water energy, non-hydroelectric, somehow associated water energy. I'm thinking of like Stanley Meyer would be an example in the world of mm-hmm. automotive conspiracies. No, you've done... Well, guys, uh, guys, guys, yeah, think yeah, about it. Yeah. The planet is encouraging us to do this. As the sea levels rise, the planet is begging for us to suck up a whole bunch of that seawater and turn <laughs> it into hydrogen. So we can power Ooh. our vehicles. I'm telling you, the planet's speaking to us. Uh, yeah, the planet's... Also, uh, we're talking in several cases of this kind of water energy allegation genre. We're talking about potable water being consumed. And I think a few years back when we were recording an episode on some of this stuff, we asked the question about whether or not human civilization could handle drinkable water becoming a power source it feels like uh yeah that feels like another future dumpster fire yeah i don't think they're ready no we're not ready and the problem is we've got the technology to get that salt out of that water as much as we want to as long as we want to at huge huge amounts but it costs too much money for the industrial water complex Mm, yeah (laughs) Nestle needs the the sheet to balance a little bit better. But if it was, but think about it, if it was some kind of necessity, if humanity can throw eight hundred and fifty billion dollars at one country's military, it can probably figure out how to desalinate enough water. Just saying. Well, you know, we've got the the religion of economy, uh, and we have to follow those precepts, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As a civilization, and and really, uh, not to sound, you know snarky or dismissive, but this this idea of making things uh, cost-effective at a competitive price, it's huge. It's mission critical for economy of scale. Like when Beyond uh, Beef or Beyond Burgers or whatever was coming out, one of the biggest questions they had to answer was how to make it 
at least the, uh, within a few cents uh, or a dollar at most as the price of regular uh, animal products, beef. And then uh, it reminds me of uh, lab-grown meat, which is mm-hmm. still doing a thing. Oh, the UN, by the way, invasive species and uh, weird food. The UN also uh, reiterated that people should eat more bugs. So that creepy kid in your preschool was right. I want some more of that, that woolly mammoth meat. Where mm. do we get that? When does that hit the shelves? Mm. No, nah, buddy. It's only going to be lanternfly chips for you. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I'll try. I, I actually, I went to a restaurant that you guys are like um, in New York recently called The Black Ant. And it's like a really cool kind of Mexican place. And they have uh, insects are a big part of their, their menu. And they do like lots of crickets. And, and the titular black ants sometimes are on the rim of like certain spicy margaritas and stuff. But like, yeah, I love crickets. I think it's a really crunchy, delightful source of protein. And we may all be, you know, having to find our way to enjoying them one day Bro. sooner than we might think. Bro, fry anything. You know what I yeah. mean? I'll give it a go. But but with this idea, okay, so Matt, you did some digging into this and you are kind of a subject matter expert on the ongoing allegation. Well, we've read a lot about it, on the ongoing allegations about water as a non-hydropower energy source, meaning water not just running and, and turning a turbine. These guys are making some pretty astonishing claims. If if they're true, uh, this could be a game changer. Yeah, I agree. Well, at least yeah. according to them. So sure. I say we all head over to Q Hydrogen's website, which is really simple. You can do this and play along with us. You ready? If you're not uh, driving, let's play along. So head stay. over to the letter Q and then hydrogen spelled out H-Y-D-R-O-G-E-N dot com. Now, when you get to the website, guys, let me know when you're there. Because you will see an amazing, I, I don't know, uh, animation, I guess, mm-hmm. of the Q making the hydrogen, I guess. Yeah, and the Q okay. also also looks like a scope in a firearm a little Ooh, bit. Ooh, a little bit like the Zodiac symbol, guys. Well, it's okay. Mm. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Everything's cool. Uh, so if you look at this thing, you will read this. Q-Hydrogen is a leading developer of sustainable, actionable hydrogen energy technologies. Our proprietary science allows for the production of clear hydrogen. This means we use less space, less energy, and are lower cost compared to natural gas, fossil fuel, and existing hydrogen production methods. Our ambition is to make hydrogen energy affordable, accessible, and simple for all industries to use. That sounds nice. Let's do that. It sounds amazing, right? Yeah. Let's, I think, okay, well, let's do it. What do you need to do this? Probably a lot of investors, right? A lot of startup money. I would assume. Wait, hold on. It says no large infrastructure needed down here. Even better. I wonder how or why. We produce hydrogen using water. No natural gas or electrolysis is involved. I've never heard of that. I thought you had to send electricity through the water with a great amount of electricity to separate the hydrogen from the oxygen that, you know, the H2O. And they're saying they can do this at ambient temperature as well. They also say they've got a, uh, a test facility in Park City, Utah, that's been open for several years. Yes. Yes. My understanding of the company is there that they've existed out in Utah for quite a while. That's where a lot of the family lived, like the creators of this thing. And then they bought this mill this former paper mill out in new hampshire to actually start running the thing i guess 
Um, Wow. I mean, it all on the website, it all sounds great. It all sounds amazing, but it sounds like startup talk to me. I don't, you, mm-hmm. you know, guys, we've encountered startup talk a whole lot oh, in our lives. Boy, sure. have we. Especially Ooh. when it comes to science, like some new breakthrough science. Uh, we are seeing the ramifications of that right now. I believe uh, the creator of Theranos is now actually headed to prison. Elizabeth as we're recording Holmes. This. Elizabeth yeah. Holmes, yeah. I mean, the kind of thing that's too good to be true. I would say this feels like that to me on the surface, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, I hope I'm wrong, guys, but I'm not sure. Can we well, jump to the team really quick on that website? Yes, but but before we do, we should point out, Matt, you made certain, you really emphasized that any of us who hadn't looked at pictures of the team yet needed to hold for when we were in a, on air. And I had, oh, I had yeah. looked, looked earlier, but I, I don't remember the faces. Okay, well, let's do it together. You ready? If you're on Q yeah. Hydrogen's website, go ahead and head over to the team tab. Click on that. And you'll see a picture at the top there of Whitaker B. Irvin Jr., who's the CEO of this company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he Whitaker has spoken a whole bunch online about the company, about the tech. You can find interviews with him all over the place. You can also see a lot of official PR. Uh, so press releases that have gone out from the company. There are at least a few prominent ones that you'll find. There are a whole bunch of folks working on this company who are a part of it, who are either on the leadership team, according to their website, key advisors or advisors. But I want you guys to focus your attention on Whitaker, the CEO's father, Whitaker mm-hmm. Irvin Sr. <laughs> Do you see him? Whitaker B. Irvin Sr. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I'm in. This is my guy right here. If this Who's guy's guy? got... If this guy's got, <laughs> this is my guy, Ben. If, the, if this guy is the chief technology officer of any company, I am in. Can you describe it to the, to the class, to the, to the listeners at home? No, I don't want to describe it. I think if you are listening Please? to this, it is your responsibility to head on over to QHydrogen.com, click on the team tab, and look at this picture. <laughs> How about we do this as a tease, gentlemen? Uh, Whitaker B. Irvin Sr., is exactly what you're picturing. Whatever you're picturing, just tell yourself <laughs> that. I think that's a way to kind of incentivize all of us to check it out. I will say, Ooh, you guys know uh, I am not a fan. Okay, I'm okay, not a fan of physically okay. shaming people. I no, think it's I'm productive. not. I promise you, I'm not shaming it's not Whitaker. A, mm, I don't know what it is. He's got it's, a vibe. Got, he looks like he means business. He's uh, epic. He, In my mind, he, he yeah. is epic. If you, if you saw uh, yeah. Whitaker at a bar... Like if I did, I'm talking to Whitaker. Well, for sure. He's like, like that. His, his he's like that guy we met on a t-shirt. I feel like he also <laughs> could be in a boardroom and then get in a wrestling match. Yeah, Whitaker, oh Whitaker B. Irvin Jr. ain't so bad either. He's got like a bit more of a buttoned up kind of look. But senior man, remember that guy we met at the bar in uh, in in um, uh, Venice Beach. What's his name? Well, that guy's that amazing fellow with the long white hair who was just wearing like the, the most incredible leisure suit of all time. This guy under his suit could be wearing that very leisure suit. For sure. I, 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 Whitaker, if you're listening, I, I, either of you guys, I'm not casting aspersions. I don't think anyone would be just saying you're awesome. If Whitaker B. Irvin, the junior, the younger mm-hmm. one who is running the show, if, mm-hmm. if he's the face of the company and then his dad is the technology guy, come on. This has well, to be legit and an awesome thing. <laughs> I, I imagine 
uh, Mr. Irvin Sr. would also want us to mention that he has multiple patent and patent applications, right? Yes, he does. Uh, he's got he's got a he's got a good uh, what I would call inventor rap sheet. Yeah, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he's doing the work. Not for nothing is he the CTO. That's right. Ah, oh, guys. All right. So keep your ears and eyes out for news about Q hydrogen. Uh, I guess we just need to say this. We are not in any way sponsored or affiliated with that company. We are just interested parties because if you can actually change the world with technology like this, we're on your side. Mm-hmm. And we want to hear from you folks, especially if you have inventions of your own. I just have to throw that in there. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, Ishmael. Thank you, Irvins. We will uh, be right back with one more piece of listener mail. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
And we have returned with a very special thank you to uh, a pal of mine on the social meds, a person named Rebel Devil, uh, <laughs> who came over on Instagram and always, always hips me to some really cool stuff. Uh, especially, I know we're especially onto something when multiple conspiracy realists start sending in the, the same thing. Uh, this is a story about a small island off the coast of Italy, off the northern coast of Sicily, excuse me, and uh, a weird bunch of bakery hijinks they got into uh, for many, many years. Here's the thing. Uh, we'll introduce this the way that uh, the way that Andrea Strafile introduces it, writing for Vice Italy. French writer Alexandre Dumas, traveling in the area in 1835, said, It is harder to find a sadder, more remote, more dismal and desolate place than this unfortunate island. It's a corner of the earth forgotten by creation and stuck in the era of chaos. Even now, there are no cars on the island. It's pretty rural. It, there aren't a lot of people living there. Most of the folks are going to work in the fishing or shepherding industry. And between 1903 and 1905, these people, this island, Alakudi, started having visions. The town started tripping or the community started tripping. They would say, I saw witches have, holding a feast on that remote beach outside of town. I saw these sacks of things talking I saw this lady grow wings and she flew off to Sicily to go shopping. There are lots of clowns falling out of the sky. <laughs> and for a while, people weren't sure what was happening until later they realized it goes back to the bakeries. The bread and the biscuits contained rye that had been infected by our old friend Claviceps purpurea, otherwise known as ergot. Fun stuff. Ooh. Yeah. One of the debunked, obviously, we've always mentioned this, debunked uh, factors that could have led to the Salem witch kind of panics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just so. And Ergot, if you'll recall, fellow conspiracy realist, uh, it produces an alkaloid called lysergic acid street name LSD. Or it's one of the basic, you know, building blocks. And so the story goes that the population of this island, you know, nobody was super fancy and opulent. Uh, nobody was very, very rich. So they wanted to save what they could. We've all been in those situations where you say, okay, this cheese might be a little bit questionable, but let me cut off this part and see about the rest of it because cheese is already sort of a gross enterprise when you think about it. I say that as a huge fan of cheese, if you're listening, big cheese. Uh, <laughs> tune into our episode on the cheese spiracy, which is real and amazing. Anyway, so they didn't want to throw away food and they would see this infected rye. The issue is when this rye is infected, it's visibly infected. It's, it's darker. It has a black color and it's called ashes or tizanera in the local dialect. And they didn't throw it away. They put it in the mill. They ground it up. Uh, and they made flour. And then that flour might go in storage. It might get recycled. A lot of this goes, a lot of the credit goes to an anthropologist named Paolo Lorenzi, who figured this out in his master's thesis. Uh, he says, look, we have traced out what happened. He started nailing down where the infection could have occurred. How could this, uh, how could this substance, this organism have invaded 
the local community. The crazy thing is when we think about ergot poisoning, you know, like you were saying, no, we think about the days of Salem and the witch trials, or we think about, you know, the Middle Ages in Europe or the so-called Dark Ages in Europe. This stuff was still in play into the 1950s. So much so that, yeah, so much so there was a doc, there were documentaries about it where you see locals just kind of shrugging and saying, you know, if you'd been here 30 years ago, you would have realized reality works quite differently on the island. <laughs> no question. <laughs> because they were always at an EDM concert without the music. Uh, I have to say it's, it's strange because it launches a thought experiment, right? Like a lot of um, psychonauts, former or practicing now in the audience, uh, may say that, you know, there's a downtime between consuming hallucinogens, right? You're not... Unless you're like, what, Sid Barrett or something, you're not on acid for the rest of your life all the time. Apparently, the one of the local beliefs is that when the residents would take this stuff, they weren't planning to trip, right? They were just eating bread. It was just time to eat something. And because they weren't expecting a hallucinogenic experience, you know, it's all seen and setting, right? They, because they weren't expecting it, it hit them with a double wallop. And this was kind of a trial by fire and they developed skills that stayed with them. Like they, it was normalized and it was known and uh, it didn't really stop until the fifties because people started visiting the Island as tourists, especially hippies hippies started visiting the island where people were having these amazing experiences. And did they get themselves some of that bread? Uh, I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were, you know, it's like when, when someone in college says, oh, I'm going to go visit Amsterdam for a few days on spring break. I'm sure you're there for the canals, right, bud? I'm sure you are. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that people were traveling there specifically to try and experience this, or they had heard mm -hmm. rumors. And the way the story goes, again, leaning heavy on Vice Italy here, the way the story goes, this persisted until eventually, quite recently, uh, the local church on the island said, this is the devil's bread. We've got to stop. Not the daily bread. <laughs> the devil's bread. This is the devil's bread. Is that the same as like the devil's, the lettuce. devil's lettuce? That's the one. Yeah. The, I don't know. You know, it's weird because anytime, at least in English, anytime you add the devil's as a possessive to something, totally. people are more interested. Like devil's food that. cake. I want some of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which still is the not devil's nectar. Isn't right. that like, like, like the booze, the mm -hmm. bottle? Right. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who's thinking of uh, starting your own show, uh, we will just give you the devil's podcast. It's a free idea. If that hasn't been taken yet, someone's going to do it. I bet someone's done it. <laughs> right. The name's just right there. Uh, I reckon so. Well, Apparently, this disappeared completely in the 1960s. And, you know, we're, I'm having some fun with this, but I do have to admit, we should be really cognizant of the fact that safety is key here. Whenever you are consuming something, whether that's for a spiritual epiphany or journey, or whether that's purely recreational, have safety measures in place, right? There's a reason that ayahuasca is taken in a controlled setting. 
right? Administered by a spiritual expert. Uh, And if you are, like, imagine you're on the road with us, your pals at Stuff They Don't Want You Know, we're doing some live shows in, I don't know, pick a weird place. Where are we doing? Poughkeepsie. I always say that. Are you Sorry. kidding me? <laughs> no, we we no, we said that at the same time. That was not planned. So Moto oh, weird. We're manifesting it. So we're on the main streets of Poughkeepsie. I'm blown away. Sorry. That was it's a, a little, go-to. It's a, a little trippy. It's uh, the ergot so, I put in your coffee, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at Poughkeepsie and we go to this bakery. And we just say, hey, okay, we're just going to get, you know, some sandwiches because we don't have a lot of time to eat. And you're hanging out with us and we're eating. And then it doesn't, the thing is, that stuff doesn't kick in immediately. We're done with the sandwiches. We're walking. We don't know if we're doing the show yet or if the show has just sort of started. And if you have ever been in that situation where the hallucinogens kick in, you know it can be one of the most amazing, delightful, revelatory experiences, or it could be absolutely f***ing terrifying. And I, I posit that if you are unsuspectingly consuming something, it's terrifying when it hits you. So it's very good that the uh, the locals here on this island have been able to figure out the cause of this over in Alakudi and have been able to phase it out. But it also, I think it was surprising to me and and probably Rebel surprising you as well, that this persisted so recently, right? Like ergot poisoning, which is essentially what this is, could happen so close to the modern day is when it finally disappears for now. And dude, that's the thing though. I love weird food. So so that wasn't that part of the debunking uh, of the um Salem stuff? The, the 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 occurrence of it didn't match up with the timeline of the trials? Um I believe yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, I believe you're correct. Guys, no. I love weird food. I think we all do. Oh, yeah. We're what might be called adventurous eaters. Maybe I'm a little further along the spectrum than some. That's fine. No judgment. AKA don't judge me. Uh, but this would be on my list of foods to try. You know, if we are ergot, uh, well, bread laced with the devil's bread, the devil's bread. I will. Doesn't it form on corn too? Can't you eat like corn? That's got like the, the fungus on it. Uh, hudla coche. I want to say, uh, like, okay, that's the one that does that one make you trip too? Or is that one just tasty? No, no it's funkiness. just infected okay, corn cool. kernels. And it's pretty, it's pretty good. Also, uh, some people are turned off by the origin of, of this particular thing. <laughs> they don't want infected the word infected in their food. I mean, look, for most people, if you knew the origin of some of the stuff you're eating, it would it would turn you off, right? It's something Probably people would. don't think about. Check out our episodes on uh, big business super agriculture. Pigs. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, super pigs. <laughs> oh, and shout out to the people on Instagram whose first recommendations were uh, like one of our, our, our friends, a guy I lovingly refer to as the mayor of Ponce. Uh, one of his first comments was to recommend like how to make good tacos out of this, uh, out of the super pigs. So that's why me and that guy kick it. Shout out Louise. But uh, there's another thing I want to, I hope I can convince us to try as we wrap up uh, this listener mail. I would love to hear from anybody who has consumed Kazu Marzu. It's one of the top things on my list. Have you guys ever tried this? I'm sure. Is I, that one of those fish that'll kill you if you get the wrong piece? Not quite, but um, but yeah, let's put Fugu on the list too. 
Because okay, we got to cool, go cool. to Japan. Doc said she yeah. wants to go. You want to you want to so. get numbed out, but not like killed where you sit. Yeah, right. I, That's the yeah. no, 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 no. I think I know what this is, Ben. You might because I haven't shut up about it for like a decade. <laughs> I don't think I know. <laughs> Matt's, Matt knows. That's the only way he'd be making that face. All right, Noel. There is a cheese. It is only made in Sardinia, although there's a version of it that exists in France. It is illegal, even in the places where it's made. You got to be like under in the underground cheese community. You got to have <sighs> some pull and some juice to eat kazu marzu. It mm. is a sheep milk cheese that is most famous. It's got maggots, doesn't it? Yeah. It's got maggots. Because of the maggots. Yeah. yeah. And they're active. They're <sighs> jumping, you know. It's coming back. Yeah. You feel them wriggling around in there, huh? That's mm. part of the, the appeal. That's... A bridge too far from me, my good sir. And I, too, am in what I'd like to consider an adventurous cedar. But you can have all the maggot cheese you want. All um, right. Well, I have ben. some. I have some. You guys just hang out with me while we're eating them. Uh, you don't have no, to try I'm it. good. You can <laughs> describe it to Do me. Do you want me to just text you guys when I'm on the text way back to it. the Airbnb? Uh-huh. Okay. You know how you feel. <laughs> right. Yeah. And maybe brush, brush real your good teeth. Yeah. We, yeah. 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 Well, people brush uh, okay. your teeth in general. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to read the short excerpt from Wikipedia. You ready? Yes. You ready? Oh, I love it. Kasu Matsu is created by leaving whole pecorino cheeses outside with part of the rind removed mm-hmm. to allow the eggs of the cheese fly to be laid in the cheese. Yeah. A female can lay more than 500 eggs at one time. The eggs hatch and the larvae begin to eat through the cheese. Mm-hmm. The acid from the maggot's digestive system breaks mm-hmm. down the cheese's fats, yeah, making it a texture. nutty flavor. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. It's guys. a very uh, soft cheese. Pecorino, I think we can agree, is a good cheese to begin with. It is, it's a good cheese. So, you know, this reminds me of it's like those coffee beans that only come from like gibbon sh- or whatever, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah, they're uh, from the uh, civet. Like they're from the civet. Yeah. Excuse civet me. Coffee. I said gibbon civet. Excuse me again. I'm obviously not a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a monkey doctor. <laughs> right, right. Like I'm not a math surgeon. Uh, so we'll we'll wrap this up because I feel like somewhere out there, someone will try Kazu Marzu with me or has at least tried it once. Uh, and what is, what's the weirdest food you tried? What's your line? Where's the threshold pass where you won't go? We've got a lot of vegans, pescatarians in the crowd. I actually stopped eating octopus, which I feel very, very uh, sanctimonious about. Uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. I always thought that I was really brave for like having eaten escargot since I was a little kid. But that's just not going to cut it anymore in this crowd with this crew. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where we want to leave it today. We wanted to... To end on one of the great uh, human unifiers, which is food, where's the line for you? Would you eat an invasive species? If the lanternfly uh, became, if the spotted lanternfly started showing up on menus, would you give it a go? Obviously, I would. Uh, where do you think Q hydrogen is headed in the future? And again, what is the weirdest food you have already tried or that you would try? In the world. Oh, by the way, uh, the Indian government just came out recently and said drinking cow urine is not good for you. So, oh, well, cool, hot take there. Nice. One to yeah. go on. <laughs> we're, we're really worried. We're, we're really thinking about that one. There goes um, the weekend. Jeez. Hey, 
what, what, what's your take on drinking cow urine? Uh, you can reach us in a couple of ways, uh, one of which is the Internet of Ways, sort of like the Internet of Things. Uh, you can find us on all the social media of choice, pretty much, uh, except for Pinterest. Um, we are Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, on Facebook, where we have Here's Rick, It's Crazy, The Group, The Movie, The Ride. And then we also have a Twitter, which is also a Conspiracy. Conspiracy Stuff Show is what we are on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you have a phone? Do you like to use your mouth to make sounds into that phone that other people can hear? Oh, well, guess what? You can call us. Really? We'll hear you. All you have to do is dial 1-833-STDWYTK if you've got something to add to one of the episodes. If you've got a question, you have an idea for an episode in the future, please, please give us a call. When you do call in, give yourself a cool nickname. We don't care what it is. As long as it's not your real name, let's keep it confidential here. Wasn't there a song about confidential? I think it was an M1 on song. Down low. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that was R. Kelly. He's oh, okay. canceled. We don't talk oh, about yeah. it. Yet. Okay. Well, don't do that. Don't do any of that. Please do let us know if we can use your name and message on one of our listener mail episodes when you do call in. And uh, that's it. If you've got more to say than can fit in that three-minute voicemail message, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.